I'll share with you briefly um, how I arrived at this morning's sermon. You know, we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark on Sundays, um, and we're just sort of moving along patiently as we go. We're, we'll be in Mark through the rest of this year, and um, and possibly even into Easter, and then we'll take a break. And uh, eventually we'll cover the whole book, but we're in no rush. So the passage for this Sunday, where we are in the book, is one of the most difficult sayings that Jesus ever spoke. Uh, it's about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit being the one only unforgivable sin. And it's just a heavy one, a difficult one. It's difficult to prepare. I could tell it's going to be difficult to preach, which usually means that it would be difficult to hear. Um, not just because difficult to accept, but probably just difficult to hang with me on. Um, but that's what I've spent most of the week working on. While working on that, I was also working on the Bible talk for the youth yesterday at the PC Palooza. And, and that was a much simpler um, word from Scripture about the gospel. And so everything that has transpired over the course of this weekend has led me to divert my path from that Mark passage and instead share with you what I shared with the youth uh, yesterday. So youth, you still have to pay attention, even though you did hear basically this yesterday. Um, this is the more sermony version of it. Uh, yesterday it was with uh, all kinds of visuals and skits and stuff. Um, as I spent Friday with the McCarvers in the ICU waiting room, and as I drove home from that and just trying to process all of this that's going on, um, I was struck by the utter seriousness of this. Um, you know, either Jesus Christ is going to return or we will all one day face death. It's just a very sobering reality. And it stirred up within me just the urgency of the gospel. It is just so important. So the passage is really two, but for starters, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there's, there is no scripture uh, to be projected for this. So uh, Scott Carpenter is our man on the projection. You can sit with your family during the sermon if you'd like. I really appreciate you doing the PowerPoint. Um, but it'll just be in your Bibles. If you look in your Bibles with me this morning, um, we'll read the first two verses of it to begin with. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. That's really all I want to do this morning. I just want to remind you of the gospel. Yeah, I know, and I've heard it said by longtime church members, why do we have to keep hearing the gospel over and over again? We're already saved. Preach something new. There's a um, leadership guru named Andy Stanley, a son of Charles Stanley. You've probably heard of him. I don't know if he coined this phrase, but he always says that vision leaks. You know, for leaders, you're supposed to be casting 
bold visions and rallying your people behind a big vision. But the idea for leaders is that vision leaks uh, like air seeps out of a balloon and that leaders have to always be reminding their people of the vision. And the fact is the gospel leaks. We have to constantly be reinfused with the gospel because it leaks out of our lives. We get distracted from it. And as we turn our back on it, it, it seeps out of our consciousness and out of our hearts. And we begin to trust other things aside from Jesus and follow other lords aside from Jesus. So I do want to remind you of this gospel. Now the gospel, it means good news. And Paul outlines it very simply in the following verses, starting at verse 3. He writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me, the Apostle Paul. That reads like a story out of a newspaper, doesn't it? Our faith is based on something that happened. Our faith is not based on something we're supposed to be doing. It's based on something that God already did. In Jesus Christ. That God came in the form of Jesus Christ, lived the perfect life that we've all failed to live, died the death that we deserve, so that all who will believe in him and put their faith and trust in him could be forgiven and cleansed and made new and adopted as God's sons and daughters. That in Jesus we have salvation. In Jesus we have acceptance with God. In Jesus we have hope, not just in this life, but in the life to come. In Jesus, what he has done for us. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. And he rose from the grave. Establishing that yes, he is indeed everything he said he was. And that he is now our living Lord. And we may follow him as his subjects. Citizens of his kingdom. I love how this reads like a news story. I love that he lists out all the people who saw Jesus alive. Many of whom were still alive when this letter was in circulation. Jesus is alive. He isn't in a tomb anywhere. He paid for our sins and he rose from the grave and he's our living Lord. This is the core. This is, this is it. This is the gospel. Now, as Paul says back here in verse 1, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which you received in which you stand. It is in this gospel that we stand. Apart from this gospel, we fall. I'll tell you the same story I told the youth yesterday. Um, One winter when I was in college, I was looking out of my apartment window, and from where my apartment was, I could see the back side of the offices where some of our teachers had their offices, our professors. And my New Testament professor came down out of the steps, and it was in the dead of winter, and the uh, parking lot was a sheet of ice. I knew it was a sheet of ice. He knew it was a sheet of ice. And he had a big um, Julia Brock-style armful of papers and folders. She's not even here, but that's not going to stop me from using her as a reference. 
a big armful of folders in this arm and his briefcase in this arm. He's dressed kind of like I was, you know, or as I am now. And you could see how tentative he was. He knew it was ice, but he was here. His car was there and he was going to get over there. And so on these tentative steps across the ice, he tried. And it wasn't long before disaster. Feet slipped out from under him. Papers everywhere. Wind blowing them everywhere. Um, briefcase on the ground sliding gently across the ice over there. He fell really hard. Really hard. I, there was a little bit of satisfaction in that moment for me because he was a difficult, <laughs> difficult professor. And I... Now, looking back on it, I see that I should have gone out to help him. It wasn't, I didn't even occur to me that I should have helped him back then. I wasn't dressed for it. Anyway, that's not the point of the story. That image of him trying to navigate across that sheet of ice is such a perfect image for the way so many of us live our lives. We're standing on ice trying to live our lives we're standing on our we're, we're standing on our uh, sense of comfort in our appearance or we're standing on the security of having an intact family or we're standing on the security of a healthy body but at any point any of these things could slip right out from under us and we've all seen it we've seen it in, in our loved ones we've seen it in our own selves And I think there's a denial about it. There's a denial in this world that the things of this world are inherently ice. And you can't put your weight on these things because none of them are guaranteed. Even really, really good things like your family, the love of your spouse. Very important, very good things, but you can't put your full weight there. You can't stand there. But we have the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, and that is a place to stand. It's in the gospel that we stand. So as Christians, when we face things like we're facing this weekend with Bobby McCarver and and Helen Williams and Harold Aldridge, we mourn and we grieve and we pray, and we pray for a miracle for Bob, but we don't mourn like people who have no other hope. We don't mourn as people on the ice We mourn as people with a very sure and solid hope. People standing on dry, solid ground of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in the gospel that we stand. And anywhere else we fall. Eventually we will. Now, I always want to preach positive, encouraging sermons. And I do think that this is positive and encouraging. But not if your hope is in this world only. Because the fact is, in this world you will have tribulation. And I want to tell you now, I want to tell you that now while you're here now and you're, you're well-dressed and you're well-fed and you're comfortable and, and your spouse sits beside you because one day those things may not be true. And I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to be sitting in that ICU waiting room surprised. Folks, it's going to happen. In this world, we will have tribulation. Everything but Jesus Christ will eventually slip away. Think about the things you love in your life in this world. What, what of that list of things will not one day slip away? Your health, your family, your job, your friendships, your finances, your house, your clothes. 
It's all going to slip away eventually. We live in a world so rocked and wrecked by sin that it it has infiltrated our mortality. It's, It's made us where we die. We get sick. People sin against us in unexpected ways. They break into our houses. They hurt us in all various ways. We, we sin and experience the consequences of our sin because we're so deeply imperfect because of sin. In this world, we're going to have tribulation. Don't be surprised. Instead, let it remind you to stand in the gospel. Because it's in the gospel that we can stand. I want to read you one of my very favorite passages of Scripture. I know I go to it a lot, but it's Romans 8. Just let the words of Romans 8, 31 through 39, sink in as I read them. It, just before verse 31, Paul had been spending all those chapters leading into it, meditating on the gospel, on what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 31, What then... Shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So when we look at at the cross, it's a reminder that God gave his son, Jesus Christ, for us. He gave Jesus for you. Now, if nothing else, that proves that he loves you. If he would not spare his son Jesus for you, what would he spare? What, what good thing would he keep from you if he, if he gives you Jesus? Now, what that does not mean is that every prayer we pray for comforting things in this world, he's going to give to us. See, there's good that he wants to bring about in us beyond earthly comforts. And I prove that to you if we continue reading. So right after this glorious word of what good would he withhold from us if he'd give us Jesus Christ? He goes on to say in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The question is, What could possibly separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ? And then he lists out all these things. What he doesn't say is, because God loves you so much in Jesus Christ, you're never going to experience tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. He's not promising that we're not going to experience these bad things in this world. It's so messed up. What he's promising is... None of these bad things can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from it. No matter how slippery all this other stuff gets, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's why we have to stay standing in the gospel. We can't stray from it and stand and put our weight on anything else. He goes on to say in verse 37... No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than conquerors of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. We're more than just conquerors. Conquerors would destroy those things and get them out of our lives. But we're more than that. In Jesus Christ, those things actually work together for our good. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Even bad things. We're more than conquerors. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus our Lord, we can sit in that ICU waiting room with all the grief and all the pain and all the mourning that is right and appropriate, but still locked in to the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. It, nothing can separate us. So long as we are trusting in Jesus Christ and following Jesus Christ. That's really good news. I shared with the youth last night a glimpse into my nighttime ritual with the kids. Um, and it's a reminder of me to get back to doing this more regularly. You know, you get busy and you start to skimp on the, uh, the nighttime routine. But ideally, we get them cleaned up and in their pajamas and teeth brushed and all their water that they need, all the little things that they need done and get them in their bed. And we, you know, they want to read a book. And, you know, if we have the energy, Lord willing, we'll read them a book. And in a perfect world, we always read the Bible to them at night, but sometimes we're so tired. But often we read the Bible to them. And we always pray together. And then I have this, this, this rotation of things I always say to them. And one of them is what I feel like the Lord is saying to us right now. And I'll lay there and I'll look at little Elias or little Lillian. And they know I love them. But I'll ask, why does daddy love you? Why does daddy love you so much? And they know the routine now, so they're not surprised at any of this. But I'll say, is it because you're so cute? And I'll say, no, because we've done this before a million times. Is it because you're so smart? No. Is it because you're so pretty for Lillian or so handsome for Elias? No. Is it because you're such a good boy or such a good girl? No. I say, no, you're right. I love you so much because I'm your daddy. And that will never change. I love you maximum all the time. I love you when you're good. I love you when you're bad. I love you when you're cute. I love you when you're not so cute. I love you when you're smart. I love you when you're not so smart. I love you all the time maximum because I am your dad. And that will never change. See, that's what we have in the gospel. We have in the gospel God the Father looking at us and saying, I love you. In Jesus Christ, you are pure to me. You are clean to me. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you maximum all the time. I love you when you're good. And I love you even when you sin. I love you when you're sitting in church. And I love you even when you're sitting at the Panthers game. I love you all the time. I love you when your health is good. And when your health is bad, I love you. I love you when your family is intact. And when, when your family gets in disarray and there's betrayal and trouble, I still love you. It doesn't mean that I love is separate from you. I love you in your living room. I love you in the ICU waiting room. I love you in your bed and at home. I love you in your bed in the hospital. In Jesus Christ, nothing can separate you from my love. That is really good news. That's something you can stand on. That's the only thing you can stand on. Paul wrote, 
I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. It is this good news by which we are being saved. The core of what we have is news, not advice. It's not what you ought to do. It's what Jesus has done for you. It's something to receive. It's something to rejoice in. It's something to believe and put your trust in. It's not something for you to roll up your sleeves and make happen for yourself. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. I just wanted to remind you of the gospel this morning. It gives us hope. It gives us hope for the McCarver family right now. It gives us hope when we face things like this. And as your pastor, I want to know that if, if it is my privilege to be with you on your deathbed, I want to know that you're standing in the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Not your good works, not your church attendance, not your family, just Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good news that you've given us. I thank you so much for Jesus Christ. I feel so frail and weak to proclaim it, knowing all the sin in my own life and all my own imperfections, but I know that it's your gospel that is the power unto salvation. So, Lord, search each and every one of our hearts. If there's any among us who have not received this news, have not transferred our weight from the things of this world onto your promises in Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Lord, let that happen right now this morning. And for all of us, may we be strengthened in our hope in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.